Look alive, sunshine. The question is not when you're gonna stop, but who is gonna stop you. The electric centaur, the democrat, the revolution will not be televised. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Grindhouse Podcast. I am your host, Dave. I am joined this week once again with Miss Ophelia, my lovely wife. Hello. And co-host of the Coffins and Coffee Podcast. And despite the name of this episode, even though we are bringing this show to a series finale, um, we're not there yet. The title of this episode is Happy Endings. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's not the kind you're thinking of, nor is it the end of this show. we still got five more episodes after this. But I was, um, you know, we had the holidays and, and you know, work is going great. And then lo and behold, the other day, I come across a tweet that is getting some traction. The ratios were, were wonderful. And the content of the tweet was... We should normalize happy endings in movies. And the the original post goes on to explain that they're not inherently saying that movies can't be there can't be sad movies or movies with sad endings or anything along those lines, but that we should start normalizing things just having happy endings as a standard, which from my vantage point is the standard, right? Um, so I want to talk about that today because, as you know, Miss Ophelia is a aspiring writer and she's been working very hard on a series that she's developing. But, but then today I came across an article shared in an Australian film group which talked about, um, uh, I guess, so are there certain topics that, that should not be touched upon? And one of the examples they gave was Hitler and Port Arthur. Now, I am not, as an American – familiar with Port Arthur. Port Arthur to me is a town in Texas, but our <laughs> lovely Australian correspondence person, Ms. Ophelia, has a different understanding of what Port Arthur is. Okay, so Port Arthur is one of the very, very few mass murders that we ever had in Australia in, I think it was like 1994, I believe it was. Um terrible but basically it it's the one thing that happened that made us change all of our gun laws forever essentially now for those of you who are listening who are americans it might seem strange to think that there was there's a country that had a mass shooting some 20 plus years ago and then hasn't had one since right would that be fair to say has there been another mass shooting since then i can't think of one off the top of my head there certainly there certainly has been obviously gun violence um, but there's, I can't think of in Australia another mass shooting that's happened. I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, but it's definitely not like America. <laughs> right. Not like here, where when you don't have a mass shooting and one occurs, you're like, wow, it's been a while. Yeah, I think I remember reading somewhere that, that they were surprised that during COVID they went a month without a school shooting. Yeah, well, because no one's in school. Yeah. Which is sad. <laughs> it's like that's when what I, it took. It's like where I grew up. In Corpus Christi, home of Salinas, they the drive-bys were just a thing that existed. Right. You know, it wasn't weird for me. I mean, of course, it was dangerous and scary. And, you know, I spent a lot of time, especially during the summers at my grandmother's house, which was on a part of town that was more likely to have a drive-by. Not that certainly where I lived was, was um, uh, you know, relegated as being sort of a safe zone from it. It could certainly happen there. But, but you know, on the west side of Corpus, it was you know, a rougher area. And so I remember growing up and my, my grandmother would say, it's nighttime, you have to come inside. And the reasoning behind that is because she was worried that there would be maybe drive-bys at night. Yeah. She didn't want us outside. And amongst other dangers, right? And to me, that didn't seem that strange. It wasn't actually ironically until I moved to Austin and then later Los Angeles when I realized that drive-bys aren't common everywhere else. Yeah. That they're not just sort of a way of life, a thing right. that you should be aware of. When when I started to realize that not everyone grew up in a school that had a high percentage of gang members, you know, that like not mm-hmm. everyone grew And I'm not saying I grew up in like Boys in the Hood by any stretch, but there's just things that like violence becomes normalized in societies when you're sort of indoctrinated to it, right? Right. We were... 
we were just watching with our friend Jason some interviews with uh, what's his name Chopper Chopper Reed Chopper Reed legend <laughs> just a fucking nutcase this Australian nutcase um, that they made an excellent movie with Eric Bana in like what 2000 or something it was 2000 effect? yeah if you haven't seen it watch it it's dope I'm pretty sure you can watch it on YouTube it's excellent <laughs> and and you know when you're listening to him tell his story as to why he's lived this life of crime it's very evident that it's just the nature of the way he grew up, right? It right. is it is the it is the environment that he knew and it's not like even when someone posed a question to him, why are you so violent? He he took issue with that because to him shooting someone isn't violence. No. Stabbing somebody is he he perceived gore as being violent. So he's like when you shoot someone, what do you say when you shoot someone like bang bang, it's like there's not blood spurting out everywhere it's like but if you stab someone like and he's making stabbing motions like, like jason like a michael myers or yeah. something jason yeah he's like like that's violent he's like there's violence but then there's violence like and it's just funny that he drew that comparison it's like shooting someone in the face is pretty fucking violent right like, to him there's a dichotomy between <laughs> what is violent from his perspective right. versus what someone who is not in that world would consider violence so it, it brings us back to the central question that both this person on Twitter and also this, this Australian article arose, which is, are there taboo topics? Are there f- subject matters that filmmakers, as an example, or I guess this goes for any artist, should not touch? And I have an opinion on that, certainly. But as a writer, as someone who is who spends a lot of their time developing characters and stories what is your perspective on whether or not there are topics that are taboo and should not be touched? Um, I don't think censorship of art should ever occur um, in any medium. Um, and I think that when you, you say, oh, well, there's certain things that we can't, you know, write about or make movies about, like that's like a very extreme form of censorship. And I think... I mean, certainly, like, I can imagine, like, there are probably movies from, like, when you're young where, you say, you're saying when you're a kid, there were, like, drive-bys happening all the time, right? Were there movies, like, when you were young where you saw stuff like that in it and you're, like, fucking relatable content, like... Yeah, uh, one of my favorite movies is Blood In, Blood Out. Right. You know, that was a movie set in East Los Angeles, and... While it's or or you know um, maybe stand and deliver. I mean, there's a lot of movies that came out of that time frame when I was growing up that I could on some level relate to. Mm. Like I wasn't a gangbanger, but like a lot of kids that I was friends with when I was in elementary and by middle school, you could see they were going down that path. They mm. were going down that path of like joining gangs. You know, they were like Mickey Mouse middle school gangs, but those gangs evolved into right. the Bloods, mm-hmm. which was the predominant gang in my high school, right? I, frankly, was way too scared of my mom to ever <laughs> venture down that path. But, but you know, again, one bad day, you know, one yeah. different thing that my mom does or my dad does that doesn't... Like, one of the things that my mom did, having grown up on the west side of Corpus, was she put me in orchestra when I was a kid um, from the fifth grade... So I graduated high school. I played classical violin. She, uh, when I was old enough, even to, you know, to barely be able to carry anything, she had me working out of her dessert shop. And then when I was able to drive doing deliveries and then off the street, keep me busy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, when I was in high school, I would work at her shop during the week. I would, during the summers, volunteer at a hospital at least three days a week. And of course, when I was in school, I was in orchestra. So I stayed incredibly busy that it it was really difficult like I didn't really get into I didn't really regularly start using cannabis until I was like 39 years old <laughs> you know like I just didn't have time I was I've been, I was instilled with a very heavy work ethic that I never had time for too much sort of right. uh, tomfoolery as they may say as the kids say these days but um but I related to it because I knew friends I knew family who yeah. were in that lifestyle, you know, who went down that path. And so this, I guess, I guess for me, like the crux of this, this argument seems to be that um, it's usually twofold. The first is that there's subjects that are um, triggering 
or um, or maybe uh, I hate to use the word triggering because it's such a buzzword now, mm. but um, um, traumatic maybe is a better like, way of, of phrasing real. it. Like, well, not just real, not just right? real, but like actually traumatic. Like there may be, for example, if the argument is there should not be movies that glorifies gang violence. Although I would I would argue a movie like Blood In Blood Out does not glorify it, but or you know like movies like Boys in the Hood and and Blood In Blood Out for example, there may be someone who says we don't need to make those kind of movies anymore because maybe people who have been victims of gang violence would see these movies and it would it would you know engage a traumatic stress you know post traumatic stress is a real thing mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who are affected by gang violence and why are we highlighting why are we making the protagonists of these films gang member even even the, the bad guys of these films right. right we just don't need to see this anymore you know there's there's the argument that perhaps by no longer making these films or or in this case port arthur right mm-hmm. now, granted this was twenty something years ago, but I, but still those yeah, I yeah. think it was twenty five years ago. I'm pretty okay, sure. but still those families are around, I assume, yeah. right? And many people lost their lives. Thirty, right? So I'm pretty sure it was. Let me just fact check myself, but I believe it was like thirty something people and twenty something were injured. Right. So there's many people who are affected by this, and maybe they there's a certain contingent of people who feel like those folks don't need to relive this trauma. It's the same kind of argument. That falls in line with the idea of, um, I think we may have even talked about this prior, but, you know, should movies be made with, with rape in them any longer, right? Yeah. And, and same line of thinking, this is an act of violence that a lot of people are unfortunately uh, victims of, and they, you know, they don't want to see that. They don't need to see right. that. It, 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 it starts up a... Or again, I'm just trying to avoid the word trigger. So if I'm stumbling over my words a little bit, that's why. But it does trigger a response within them that can cause undue stress, undue reliving of trauma, etc. That's one school of thought, which I can understand to some degree. The other school of thought, which I think is actually the prevailing reasoning behind these Mm -hmm. sort of hot takes, which is this idea that if we just don't make them, then they don't exist. Right. And and that seems to be – I thought it was a very Americanized way of thinking. It's a very like neoliberal way of thinking where people of a certain generation have come to this weird idea in like – especially in the, like the post-Trump era and, and definitely by the post-COVID era or current COVID era that they just don't want to see negativity in any manner. I think the Twitter post probably – plays more into that school of thought right this idea of like let's just make happy endings if we make happy endings then we'll we could pretend that there's not evils of the world right this is the go to brunch group of people who don't want their entertainment to be art they just want it to be entertaining schlock these are the same people who spend who watch every marvel movie that comes out or dc movie or comic book movie that has very clear or harry potter for that matter that's very clear Good guys, bad guys, good guy wins at the end. Right. And this is how they want to imagine the world that exists around us. So the idea of making a movie about Port Arthur or for Americans, Columbine mm-hmm. or Sandy Hook or 9-11 or Hitler, because apparently Jojo Rabbit, which is a hilarious, amazing film, is is they don't even want to acknowledge that these forces exist or have ever existed. I think I think then the danger there also lies in the fact that you're portraying, I guess, life, whether it be, you know, you're doing a, I guess, a completely fictional, bombastic film, or you're doing a film that's based in real life events, you're, you're essentially then portraying life as being something where bad things don't occur. And no matter what happens, everything's going to be fine. Well, that's what people, I think that's, that, again, not, I'm just, um... I am interpreting sort of the rationale behind these articles to some degree. But, you know, at the danger of playing dime store psychiatrist, I do think that there is an entire generation that does want to believe that if they can just purge it from art, then these things don't exist and they don't have to confront them. I don't know that they're equipped to confront them or maybe they've been confronting them for so long that that they've just run 
been run ragged. I mean, I know as someone who's very rapidly approaching 40, I said this earlier in, in, in a conversation about politics, time has a way of making, you know, weary cynics out of all of us. You know, over enough time, you just have enough disappointment that occurs in your life. You just don't have the fight in you anymore. Mm. And that's why it's always been, to me, it's always incumbent for the young generation. That's why a lot of revolution starts with a young generation because it is sort of a young man's game. And as you start to transition from being that young fighter in the trenches to the salty old dog, your job then is to transition and transfer your information, your knowledge, your experience to the people who still have that fight in them. But... I, it feels to me that a lot of the people who are calling for these censorships or or normalization of ignoring bad things tend to be younger than I would suspect, or maybe they're more weary at a younger age. I mean, definitely. I mean, look at things that are happening now <laughs> compared to, I guess, how life was even two years ago. I mean, we're going through a, a sort of global pandemic, I guess. So, you know, it is a... It's not a very good time for a lot of people. It just seems weird that... I mean, are they saying that they just want films to end okay? Like, everything happens is fine by the... So, bad things can occur, as long as it's not a closed curtain. I guess that's... Yeah, I, I, I think what the, the Twitter person was trying to say was, in the end, it should end on a happy note. Like a, like a fairy tale, like a Disney film. But basically what this person is advocating for is, is normalize Disney endings. So like in their mind, um, oh man, I'm just trying to think of a classic story that ends. You, have you, seen, you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, right? No. Do you care? I got I got really bored with Avengers after Avengers Do you care about the ending? Seven. No. Of a two-year-old movie? No. So <laughs> Iron Man dies at the end. Okay? I right. mean, the good guys win, but at the, you know... Someone is sacrificed. Actually, a couple of people. So, is that a happy ending or is that a not happy ending? Depends on your perspective, right? I mean, it seems like what this person is saying is like, why did we have to kill him? Why does someone have to sacrifice themselves? Which is absurd because if I, even within the context of this imaginary world where there are space alien space monsters fighting pro wrestlers, essentially, <laughs> right? Right. Even in this fictionalized world. Where there's a massive battle that results in literally two meaningful deaths, okay? Of which there's no hardly any blood, if there's any. I don't think there's any at all. That is too much of a downer. Like, can you imagine the idea of pretending that wars don't end in um, in deaths and, and, and young men and right. women dying? Well, let's, let's, like, combine these two. So let's say if we get the Twitter argument that says... Movies have to have a happy ending. And then we have this article from The Age that says certain topics shouldn't be touched because people might get offended or, for lack of a better word, triggered, I guess. What films are we going to make? Disney films. But okay, not all so Disney films because at, Bambi's mom dies um, and Dumbo's mom dies. Does Dumbo's mom die? Um, I don't know. Or is she just taken away? I forget how that worked. Well, let's talk about every fucking Disney film because in almost every Disney film, they're either in a broken home or one of their parents is dead. Yeah. Okay. So that's how that shit starts. And somebody always dies. Like, yeah, usually. Right? Usually. And I mean, there's usually a happy ending, but it's like... Now, there's, okay. a, there's a school of thought that, again, I see more and more prevailing amongst a millennial generation. And I, when I say that, God, I, I probably sound like the most bright wing nut job ever, but I don't mean that. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm not that at all. Mm. I mean, I, I think I think the current Democratic Party is too right-wing for me. So that should probably let you know where I lie <laughs> on the political spectrum. But there does seem to be this sort of... When I'm saying millennials, I mean literally the millennial generation, which is, right. I believe, somewhere in the range of like 25, 26 years of age to like 36, 37, yeah, 38. Yeah, I think I just fall into that. Yeah, and so I, I'm like and, on the cusp. And I like to pretend that I'm at the end of Gen X, but mm. I'm really like a hybrid person, right? There's a, I, think, I, think, I think most people would call, you know, that like 40 to 38 range Xenials because we're mm. kind of hybrid of the two. But people who are in their late 20s to mid to late 30s seem to be the generation that really is pushing for this the sort of sanitizing of art 
Hmm. And it's weird to me because, you know, traditionally, historically, the people who have been against censorship, the people who have been against um, sanitizing and scrubbing right. has been le- left-leaning people, right? Right, exactly. It's like this. Uh, that was a huge issue um, years ago, the censorship of art and, like, what's too shocking and what's taboo and all that sort of stuff. And it seems to me that – it almost seems to me that the world's sort of – evolved to a certain point and now it's regressing it's like it's coming full circle again i i just think it's the natural evolution because you know when i think about young young artists who are like pushing the boundaries of decency i think of um the beats i'm a huge Mm. you know allen ginsberg fan or i think about george carlin and you know the things you can't say on television um, but then when you start to get in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was a there was a group. It was like, I might butcher this, but it was like Parents' Right to Music Censorship, I think is what they were oh, called, PRMC. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was led by Tipper Gore, who was Al Gore, who invented the Internet's wife. Mm-hmm. That, you know, lar- that was largely done by what was in America we call Southern Democrats. These sort of like very conservative, we, they used to call them Dixiecrats. Because they were basically republic. Really, that was a real term. They were basically Republicans, but they were they were under the old. Because in America, like Democrats used to be the conservative party, right? And it wasn't really until JFK that well uh, FDR that that started to change. But of course, you know that's you know from 1940 to 1980s. You know that's only 40 years. So mm. a lot of these people, especially in the South, where things tend to change you know, at a slower pace. They held on to a lot of those old conservative views, but they never changed party allegiance. Some did, but many didn't. Right. So, and then, you know, when I was a kid, we had Bill Clinton, who was a Dixiecrat. Al Gore ran for president. He was a Dixiecrat. Um, there's, a, there's been a whole generation of people who really for eight years from, or really longer maybe, but like in my lifetime, for example, you basically had a string of conservative leadership on, uh, no matter what color their tie was, mm. you know? So I wonder if just because, again, as we said at the top of the show, you're sort of a byproduct of the environment in which you're raised in, if these this generation has normalized um, the, the whitewashing of art. Yeah. Where the idea of censorship is not... Not a thing that the that the left fights for, but in fact something that they champion. And you could argue, like, um, again, we were talking to our friend Jason from the Regrettable Century podcast, and even the terminology that's used. You know, when, when we talked about like canceling, for example, in the olden days, if you acted not in the interest of society, you would have been exiled, right? Yeah. You know, you'd have been like Napoleon. You exiled. You run out of the run out of the village, right? Right. But nowadays, the terminology is canceling, which doesn't actually have. I mean, it has some effect. Certainly, you know. But you know, if you look at Harvey Weinstein, that's the greatest example of someone "quote unquote" being canceled and actually having a real effect. He's, unfortunately, he's, Johnny Depp right now as or well. Unfortunately, on the backside, Johnny Depp, who is actually the victim of domestic violence, but because there's a a political agenda and movement by a certain group of people who have co-opted a movement that was meant to protect victims, mm-hmm. he's on the receiving end and it goes against a narrative that people want to push forward right. that only women are victims and never men, which is, you know, I've long held that you either believe that all victims should be protected regardless of their economic means, their their gender, their, um, uh, their race, their whatever it may be. You, you either are, are in support of victims or you don't really give a fuck. And it's all performative bullshit, right? You either don't want people to get harmed or yeah. or you don't really care. And selective cruelty is a very colonial mindset, right? right? That's mm-hmm. that's like what colonists did. You know, we're going to terrorize these people because they look different than us or they don't fit our agenda. And we're going to let these people have rights. That's that's a that's just a transfer of a mindset that it, it used to be. Same as racism. Exactly. It used to be that, that people who were considered liberals or to the left fought against. And now it's been sort of co-opted mm-hmm. and normalized. That's been normalized. It's just the sort of this idea of this purging of things that are bad in a superficial manner, not in a substantial manner. For, so, for example, like if they were making 
who's a shitty director? I'm just trying to think no, of one. Oh, be careful here. Um, <laughs> whatever, Mick G. He's not a bad. I don't think he's a bad guy. I mean, he's done some okay stuff. I don't know. Who directed really, Chicken Park? I don't know. Who's a, I'm just trying to think of like a really <laughs> terrible, schlocky director. I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head because I don't watch those movies. But Michael Bay. Okay, Michael Bay is never going to hire me. Oh, well, he's probably going to get acid for that. Whatever. Probably right. <laughs> get cancelled. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it so I can move on with my life. Um, if Michael Bay were, was to make a movie about Port Arthur or Columbine, and oh, it was God. and it was going to be this exploitative, you know, it's exactly what I imagined. Non-sensitive, yes. loud, bombastic Michael Bay film. I would be totally against that because that's mm. to me. Ex- you know it's exploitative and it's not it's not there's no there's nothing to gain from that right you know, i can't imagine that michael bay is going to approach this with as a character study of um uh you know what makes a, a a criminal you know what brings a person to this point you know what 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 is uh what can we learn so that we can so that we may avoid this in the future right right and I don't think a person like that is capable of delivering that message. I mean, could be wrong. He could just, you know, he could have that bug and it's a it's a topic that's close to his heart. And this is the one time he doesn't just put a shit ton of CGI behind a film. Mm. But generally speaking, I feel like that would not be a good fit. But that doesn't mean that the topic can't be addressed. Right. It's like um, that movie, um, I don't know if you've seen it, it's from like the early 90s Kids um, I did once, and it's really, man, it's a movie that's heavy. So I've never okay. really been able to go back and watch it. It's a fucking heavy film. Um, it made me sh- fucking shit scared. <laughs> um, as a kid, but it, it, I mean, for those of you that don't know, I think basically the premise of the movie is this guy has made it his mission to this young young kids made it his mission to sleep with this girl. Um, and there's you know scenes of like there's rape and there's people contracting hiv and there's drug use and all this sort of stuff in it but me seeing that as a young person i was like cool i'm t- absolutely terrified of any of that shit happening sure. to me right so because it didn't glamorize it it didn't glamorize it it's it was dirty it was dark it was like this is legitimately like how it is and it wasn't like you know these super good looking actors that this happened to like they're literal children like kids like yeah. that are in like you know what do you guys like junior high i guess like 14 yeah, 15 yeah. years old right so like and and none of that movie is pretty it's very very gritty but like to me seeing that as a young person i was like holy shit like i never want to be put in any of those situations like it was it's scary to watch it's really confronting and while that movie doesn't have a happy ending the ending that movie is so fucking sad but like that has stuck with me for a long time and it definitely as a young person made me think about my actions sure like right so while the movie wasn't pretty and it didn't have a nice ending like that definitely positively impacted my life well, in that way well a movie that did that for me was train spotting yeah you know, let's think about some of the things in train spotting a baby dies from neglect mm-hmm. and then is reanimated in a heroin dream um there's gratuitous drug usage mm-hmm. there is statutory rape by some accounts mm-hmm. you know fucking you and McGregor sleeps with a high school girl yep there's um, you know there's there's violence who he meets that, at a club who right. shouldn't fucking be there right <laughs> and and not only does I mean obviously the actress wasn't a minor but the, the actress who's portraying a minor is fully naked in a sex scene mm-hmm. with someone who's portrayed as yep. an adult and Again, even though that movie is a lot more stylized than Kids, Kids is really raw. It's really yeah. raw. But and and Train Spotting is definitely designed to be more entertaining. Yeah. But it's still pretty impactful. Yeah. I mean, it's still definitely. like when you you see the baby die dead, and you realize it was sick boys, and you see how tough it is for Renton to get clean from drugs, and you know all of those things tell of a very seedy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That at the time was sort of being glamorized and romanticized because of the Kurt Cobains and the Scott Wylands and yeah. the Chris Cornells and all these famous singers of this time period mm. or just prior. And their copious amount of drug usage, this the heroin had become this. And then even like within fashion, 
you know, the term was heroin chic, right? It was yeah. like this super gaunt, very druggy looking thing. Yeah. The the society had, you know, the spectacle had sort of gulped up, you know, and was regurgitating out in this very unhealthy manner. And train spotting sort of showed that it wasn't cool in the same way that kids, you know, took this idea of unsafe sex at the time when when AIDS was such a concern and a fear mm-hmm. that it was able it was able to contextualize the dangers of it without it being without it being glorified or or exploited in a manner yeah. that, that that made it that whitewashed the dangers of it right so those films and and you know tons more right those films that are now looked back as, as as classic pieces of art, right? Hmm. Would not exist if this current mindset of happy endings and don't talk about tub- topics that are taboo or right. make topics taboo, they wouldn't even exist. And I what I I had this um, back in in you know in my before I got into film, I used to work in retail, and I had this coworker when I was working at one of these shops who had done some. Uh, outreach work in Africa. She okay. Had, she had worked. I had a, you know, it's been many years now, so I couldn't tell you exactly the the region. But she had worked with um, people who were who were suffering from AIDS and HIV. Oh, jeez. And um, she had just recently come back from it, and she was telling me that one of the reasons that at the time, and this was you know mid two thousands, that AIDS and HIV was kind of on the rise in America, but it wasn't being addressed like it was in the early 90s, like when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. was because there had been so many advances in the medicines that could help, you know, help one live and survive and and carry on a somewhat normative lifestyle, Hmm. you know, far removed from some of the early, more devastating impacts that it had when it was a newer, more novel virus that the danger and the harm of it seem to subside and we see this now right you and i have been trying to get in shape and we've been doing these long walks around our mm-hmm. neighborhoods and and what do we see all the time it's people without their fucking masks on people in La- in a very liberal city right in los angeles people we saw how many people do you think we saw today just walking you know a three mile radius 20 easy. had to have been easy because like there was i mean there was a family that didn't have theirs on by the way if you're in a family of five and one of you's not wearing a mask, no fucking point. Just saying. I just wanted to put that out there. It angers me to no end. Well, and one of the things that we've talked about on one of these walks is part of the reason that I think you're starting to see. And again, everyone likes to pretend you get on the Facebook and all the smooth brains like to pretend that, oh, it's just a, it's just those dirty, dirty right wing folks. You know, the people in the South who are dumb and we're hillbillies. But but that's <laughs> and sure that's part of it, but I live in in probably the first or second most liberal city in America, mm. and we saw tons of people with no mask. Well, on. We saw that guy today that was like yelling in another guy's face. They were having a conversation, but they were yelling at each other because that's apparently how people talk here. Um, and he's standing like arms distance away from this guy yelling into neither his face, neither wearing a mask, about how the government's trying to control you by making you wear a mask. P.S. If your government's trying to control you by making you wear a mask, you got a fucking weak government because yeah. they have much more means to control you and they than by making you wear a face covering. But one of the things, <laughs> one of my personal observations as to why you start seeing this anti-mask wearing sentiment increase, even within regions that you wouldn't suspect would sort of succumb to that, mm. is because it's been so long since the since the coronavirus was first sort of announced yeah and and fundamentally things haven't gotten any better no. and 80% of people who get the coronavirus are asymptomatic and we we don't really see too many of the effects of it you know you don't really see a lot of footage yeah. uh, in the hospitals like when aids first happened I, I don't know if it had the same impact in australia but when aids really when i was growing up and it was becoming a thing that people were really concerned when it became a national um, uh, emergency. Mm-hmm. You saw images. I'll give you a great example of using not just realistic images, but artistic images. The movie Philadelphia. Yep. With Denzel Washington mm-hmm. and um, 
Tom Hanks. And it was such a moving piece of work that it helped, again, contextualize the danger and the struggles of someone who's living with HIV or AIDS, right? right. And because it was... It was in the zeitgeist, and it wasn't something that certain artists were shying away from. It helped – what it helped normalize was protecting oneself from that and their loved ones. And it helped remove the stigma of people who had STDs and STIs from the mindset. Right. Like it, when, when I was a kid, the, there was, there was a, a real lack of information as to how you could even contract the virus. Right. And over time, and not, not strictly because of artistic – movies but like uh, i'll give you another example um the real world yeah with was it pedro i think it was season three there was a character there was a real there was a in this reality yeah this forefront of reality show i think his name was pedro was like someone living with hiv and it helped it helped like humanize and normalize looking at someone who was living with this virus as a normal person instead of and 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 I I choose the words living with very carefully mm-hmm. because it really did illustrate that this thing was something I mean this was at a time when the medicine was far inferior to what it is now yeah. but you could live with it you could have a normal life you could get married you know this was right. long before gay marriage was was legal in the US and so if you didn't touch on those taboo topics which were taboo at the time you wouldn't have gotten that, and I don't know that you would have had the change in sentiment amongst people in this country, if not you know the world, without again not to beat a dead horse horse with like the same terminology, but like without contextualizing it in a meaningful manner. Mm. I think, I mean, I mean we're talking as well. But I, well we're having this conversation this afternoon actually about movies that were banned in America mm. and like. We're talking about a country that had once banned Life of Brian, Monty Python. Yeah. Um, we had banned um, The Last Temptation of Christ. Right. Like. Well, because because <laughs> there was a there was a the fear and because people in power had a you know probably belonged to a, a con- conservative Christian or Catholic upbringing mm-hmm. and it offended people and so a bunch of people got up in arms and. And you know, for a time, it was banned, and you couldn't see it. Right. I think. I think it's just gonna. I think if it got to a point where the art that we're creating and the cinema that we're creating is, you know, censored, or you know, you can only operate within these sorts of artistic guidelines, the, the world's gonna get really fucking weird. Oh, I mean, like, it's already weird, but but but, like, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like yeah, I mean, if you don't get movies like Roots, Roots was a film yeah. that like fundamentally changed the way a lot of people thought the way, and and this wasn't something. I mean, you read about and you learn about slavery in America and in textbooks, mm-hmm. and depending on where you're from in America, it probably can it probably sort of framed in a certain manner or a different manner, but. Another movie that dealt with a very taboo subject, the very ugly side of American history, and it it really, I think, aided in changing the mindset of a lot of people. Now, on the flip side, and, and this is no this is no knock against the movie from its artistic merit, but you have a movie like um, Dancing with Wolves, for example, right. or Last of the Mohicans, which frame America's treatment of the Native American in a manner that is, I don't know, white man savior syndrome, which you see so Ugh. often, right? The Last Samurai. Um, you see it all the time where it's mm. like the person in power comes to us. Uh, what's, what's, um, I'm trying to think of a movie where it's like the, the, the white, the, oh, what was that stupid movie with Michelle Pfeiffer? You know, like the, it was actually based on a true story, so I guess I shouldn't call it stupid. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't even a bad movie, but it was just symptomatic of this sort of idea of like, the 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 white woman goes to the inner city school or the white man goes to the inner oh, city whatever um oh, oh um had gangsters paradise yeah in it was it. a gangster paradise movie it's not bad teacher no 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 it's um i'll remember it as soon as i anyways it. my point being when you over sanitize films in that nature you're really doing dangerous minds dangerous minds that that's it. right i think it had did that one have 
uh, Lauren Hill in it, or was that just Sister Act 2? <laughs> she wasn't Sister Act 2. Very different film. I know, but there were school movies. and I, I uh, No, I didn't think I thought there was. I thought there was an actor in that movie that was like it was like their first role and they went on to be a bigger actor I can't recall it you might be thinking of um Higher Learning maybe maybe that had um but anywho my, yeah. my point being is that throughout history and we're just talking about modern cinema you know cinema within my lifetime but within American history art has often tackled taboo subjects mm. And it's benefited society as a whole. Yeah. You know, when do you remember when Ellen came out? Did, was that a big deal there in Australia? Yeah, it was for a while, yeah. Okay, so like when she came out, everyone tuned in. Mm. And she had announced that Ellen, the person, was a lesbian. Yeah. But then Ellen, the character within the show, was also going to come out as a lesbian. I think her show ran like two or three more seasons after that. Mm. And it was a huge thing. People tuned in. And and it was such a... Or, or Will and Grace was another yeah. show that like you know there was a lot of these shows like and I'm not saying that these are high art but like there were a lot of these shows that came out that tackled what was at the time considered to be taboo subjects and mm-hmm. it helped re re it helped adjust the mindset of America you know there were there were there were very much groups of people who would look at the gay and lesbian community different before these works of art as to afterward right right um, now you might make the argument that well these are these are social movements that we want to normalize mm-hmm. right and therefore yes we will shine a topic because they shouldn't be taboo yeah right but I would argue that 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 exists the other way around because I, I'm not saying that gun violence isn't taboo but I am saying I don't want it to occur and I don't think the way to curb that behavior is by sticking your head in the right. sand. That's like talking about that movie. Have you ever seen High Learning? Which one is that one again? Uh, it's uh, it's again it's a pretty heavy film. It's about it's about those college students. The uh, one young girl gets raped. Um, it's got Tyra Banks in it. I have seen it, but it's been so, so long. I'm trying to remember. In that movie, you've got the topics of um, rape. You've got um, a young kid that's like a white supremacist, like a Nazi, like worshipper you've got school shooting you've got racism like you've got all these things that are tackled in that film and like i found that movie to be impactful like i thought it was a great film and it was all done really really well but like imagine if you like like silence that stuff well that's it because if you if you silence it then how can you address it in a meaningful manner how can you oh it's john singleton of course because he's amazing um Oh, yeah, Omar Epps. I was going to say that. Then mm-hmm. I didn't want to speak out certain... I had Michael Rappaport in it. It had, it had a Cube, bunch of people. Jennifer yeah. Connelly. It's a great movie. Yeah, so so that's the thing. There's a lot of these topics that are incredibly taboo from a certain perspective that are addressed, and, and it really comes down to the construct of the art itself. The mm. intent is, is important. The context is important. And, you know, like, do you remember when Joker came out? Yes. Do you remember how freaked out... Left-leaning yeah. liberal people were during terrified. That. Like I, just, I expect this from right wingers, you know, to some degree. They want to censor everything unless it's like those fucking right. uh, pure flicks films. But, but all these liberal and it's mostly like writers. I don't, I don't know how much it's like the average person. I think it's mostly these talking heads that, uh, frankly speaking, I think it is um, ghoulish. The sort of exploitive nature of these writers and talking heads on the on the liberal side who who look to rally up people for for clicks, you know, for right. for bait. Um, but you know, you saw article after article, almost almost masturbatory in in its glee of expecting and projecting that the Joker movie was going to caused violence the rise of the incels the rise of the incels just like just like when during the election there was all these talk about civil war civil war and in here in hollywood that there were oh my god there are still buildings that are boarded up mm. because they were just afraid of this crazy rise of the lichens or i don't know the terminators <laughs> don't know or some what shit what they thought was gonna happen it no, was bad like, nothing happened you know what happened at the end when joker came out a bunch of dopey people went to the stairs in the movie and they danced like dorks and good on them. <laughs> you know what? Because if it brought them like five minutes of happiness to go dress up like the Joker and dance, 
you know, Sake. to, to gl- Gary Glitter on the steps. Good on them. Who cares? There's worse things. You know, what you, you know what's the worst thing? Gun violence. And that didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> not not a single one that I know of was inspired by that movie. Just right. like Marilyn Manson didn't inspire Columbine. Exactly. And and I don't think that a Jojo Rabbit, which is a movie about a young German boy learning to see past prejudice and fall in a in a sort of a, a I mean it, it's I don't I mean I guess the movie's not that young not that recent that I can't spoil it but like the core of the movie is that he sees past the systemic racism and bigotry that mm-hmm. he grew up with to fall in love not only romantic love as kids can do I guess yeah. but like a love like almost like a, a um like a fraternal love, you know, between the two. Fraternal is not the right word. What's the word I'm looking for? Brother, sisterly, sibling, you know, friendship, yeah. whatever, whatever it is. That we, that 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 kind of com- the comrade love is mm-hmm. what I would call it, right? It's camaraderie. It's like two people who bond over an experience, yeah. and it doesn't have to be romantic, and it doesn't have to be um, family or blood. It, it's just like this. It's it's a love that comes from experience together, like shared experience. Right. And what better message is that? What better message is that for you to try to instill upon our society in this year in particular than seeing past our bigotry, seeing past this idea that because someone looks different or has a different background than you that they're a bad person? Why would you look – because Hitler's in the movie? First off, Hitler, spoilers, is kicked in the balls and kicked out a window in the end. Just like in Tarantino's uh, Once Upon a Time, what was it? No, in Glorious Bastards, Hitler is shot to death with a fucking machine gun. Or in Kung Fury. <laughs> what happens in that? He's, um... I don't remember. I've only seen parts of her. Oh, I mean, I've seen it, but it's... stupid. But it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing, and I love the it. Point. But... The point being is that just because Hitler's in the movie doesn't mean it glorifies or sensationalizes right. Hitler. Even if there are moments where Hitler's kind of funny in the movie... In the end, he's a bad guy, and spoilers, it ends in a fucking happy ending. Yeah. Just like what you want. So, listen, I don't think anyone's going to watch Jojo Rabbit and become a Nazi. They just have to turn on Fox News for that. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, if you really want to shut something down, do that. But see, but that would be real work, and no one really wants to do that. So they, they go after these films that so that they could stick their head in the sand and pretend well if we don't make any movies with hitler then there won't be real life nazi violence well guess what if you live in america there's a shit ton of it and it didn't come from jojo rabbit just like racism didn't come from four years of trump it has existed my whole Mm -hmm. near 40 years of life trump's only been significantly around in my life for the last four so what happens to the 36 and obviously it existed prior to my birth Mm -hmm. this the censorship of our it's, it's, it's low thought process. It's, it's, um, I, I can, I can to some degree understand if the argument is like, I, I think we may have even talked about this before on the show. Like, do we need to see rape in movies anymore? And to me, the answer is, well, it depends on the context. Right. There is probably an interesting way of using that real life terror effectively without showing it right you know like i agree like you didn't need um the gratuitous rape scene in i spit on your grave right you don't need that insinuation would have been enough but then again that makes it all the more shocking it also depends right it also depends on what you're trying to say sometimes what was it we were just watching a film oh we were uh um was it tales from the hood they were watching that sort of movie review of. I think so, yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where that's like very traumatic. It shows imagery, like real life uh, I- imagery of lynchings and slavery. Oh, and, yes, it was. It was, yes. And, you know, the, the directors who are African-American men were actively trying to disturb right. you because it should be fucking disturbing. It should be something that you're confronted mm-hmm. with, not just as people who are not African-American, but I think their intent was to also show, especially the young men predominantly young black men predominantly who were really you could start to see um there's a lot of inner city violence and Mm -hmm. and violence within communities and they were trying to unsettle them so that potentially they could get them to turn away from the violence right and they even said 
Didn't they even say like they had young men, young gangbangers come up to them after the movie came mm-hmm. out saying that they had it had really made them change their perspective on the way that they had been living their life. Right, yes. And that is the power that art can have when it's utilized correctly. When you tackle taboo subjects with intent of of recontextualizing and reframing them in a manner that allows us to move beyond and never repeat these terrible, terrible things that unfortunately us humans have a proclivity to engaging in. Right. It shows you the aftermath. It's not just the aftermath. It just shows you it it breaks things down. That we don't understand a a lot of people still don't understand because they didn't want to they didn't want to admit it. But like if you don't understand what can lead you to gun violence, which doesn't excuse it, but if we ignore society's like role in it, then we're ignoring part of what causes the problem, which means how could you possibly get over and conquer a danger to society if you refuse to look at like all causations of it? Right. It's like having a rodent issue, right? And um, your house is filthy, right? You leave food out, you don't wash your dishes, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And your decision is to close the window. That might solve one part of it, I guess, you know, but it's not going to cause your problem if you don't change the fundamental issues that encourage or at least allow whatever this taboo subject that you want to ignore to cultivate. And if if you're serious about changing society so that we don't have another Hitler, so we don't have another Donald Trump, so we don't have another gun violence, so we don't have another rape, so we don't have domestic violence, all these things that, yes, we need to purge from our society, we are not going to do it by pretending it doesn't exist. Right. That has never, to my knowledge, someone feel free to correct me in the comment section, (laughs) I don't think anything has ever been uh, solved by ignoring it. No. You're not going to raise awareness to you know certain things by closing everybody's eyes yeah i don't think anyone has anyone ever saved anyone from cancer by not uh you know by ignoring that it exists exactly right there's like a million organizations that their whole job (laughs) is raising awareness right because through awareness properly framed awareness that is how we're able to tackle real problems so i think it's a real disservice these writers are doing and these folks on Twitter and these 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 people who think and I look and I I understand if if again personally you're at a burnout point and it's too much for you as an individual change the channel turn off the TV download Disney Plus go outside take your break that's okay I'm not saying that in a mocking manner take the break everyone yep. needs it do your mental health check in and. Fill your brain with whatever it is that you need in that moment to take care of yourself. But censoring has never worked. It's always been a tool of the right and of control. And in the end, I see art dying and um, I see counterculture. Maybe I I refuse to believe it's completely dead, but it is it is on its last Mm -hmm. death breath. And if we don't do if we continue on both sides to advocate for the the censorship of topics that we don't want to hear about, then I, I think that we're going to find ourselves in a world where there are no longer answers to solve problems and we will simply be floating floating along a, a rapid current taking us where we don't want to go mm-hmm. with, with all opportunities to get out, you know, things of the past. So, with that being said, it might be a heavier episode than we normally do, but <laughs> I, I want to I talk about a little bit about what the next star- steps are for this podcast. Um, you know, we're this is episode 95, so we have five ap- after this. Uh, I don't know. I think next episode we will probably bring back David A. Venable. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch a David Fincher presentation, and I think that's going to spawn... Something along those lines. I know that the episodes have been sort of, especially the last month or so, have been sort of erratic. I'm doing the best I can with juggling shows and other things and also developing the new podcast, which is coming up. 
You know, yeah. if, you, if you followed my podcasting career, you know, I went from Tired of Winning, which was a completely political podcast, to Grindhouse, which sort of vacillated between, uh, or oscillated rather, between political, social commentary with movie reviews yeah. and topics. Um, but the next, the next one I'm doing, I'm really, I'm really excited about. It's going to be a roundtable discussion. Um, led by myself and several panelists, all of which who have some background in occultism. So uh, I want to take an opportunity to promote that. Look for it on January or December 21st. Yeah. We'll be releasing our first episode. It'll be a monthly roundtable discussion about life, society, and art. I get, in some ways, uh, a combination of what we've done in Grindhouse, I guess, and, and Tired of Winning, um, with, which will be uh, an ever-changing panelist. Uh, but folks from the Regrettable Century, from Coffins and Coffee, from Grindhouse, uh, and guests I've had on the shows, but all folks who have some sort of background that is rooted in uh, an alternative spirituality. That is something that I've I've talked about and touched upon here and there on this podcast. But it's very, it's been some, something in the last year in particular, um, something that's been really important to me uh, as as someone who practices like ceremonial magic and. Um, and, and to some lesser degree, maybe neo-paganism, um, I have found, especially in this age of COVID, a lot of comfort in that. And a lot of, uh, it's really helped me re reprogram the way I look at the world. Uh, and every day, of course, like like everyone else is a struggle, mm. but I, I really feel like it's done a lot of, a lot of good work for myself personally. I feel like I've had a lot of growth in the last year. Uh, I know that a lot of people this year has been really rough, but actually for me, um, but, which I, I have to acknowledge is because I'm financially stable enough that everyone is, and it's very hard to write yourself when you're trying to feed yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but because I am I am privileged in that manner, um, I I felt like I it has really helped in my development and growth in the last year, and I feel like that's the true for all the people that I plan on having on the show. And none of us have necessarily the same background. Like you, we might have people who are neo-pagan, mm-hmm. um, who practice sort of uh, nature magic. We will have uh, Satanists and the Anton LaVey sort of mindset. Uh, we'll have people who are Gnostic. Well, different different walks of life. I'm not looking to make it necessarily a, a show of the Lemist, the Lemites. The lemurs. The lemurs. Yeah, I like that one better. That's my favorite. Um, but but all all folks who are coming from a slightly alternative spiritual background, combined with a very probably alternative political and and societal viewpoint. Mm. And so with that, I really hope to be able to tackle some of the subjects that we from time to time talk about on this show, and we certainly talked about on the title winning show in a way that is entertaining. That is enlightening, engaging, and with a once a month cadence, something that I can put a little bit more effort into and time into the production when when sometimes it's a bit of a struggle with this one. Especially at one point we were doing two podcasts at the oh, same time. Yeah. And that got really challenging because I do all the it's just me. Basically. Once once we once <laughs> I press stop, it's me. I do the art, I do the editing, I do the everything and it's a, it's a lot of work. It's great for work. I love it, but it is a lot. And so I'm going to scale back slightly, a little bit more, less quantity and a little bit more quality, I'm hoping. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to talk about, so the A Culture Shock podcast is a podcast that will be coming out in a few weeks. Please take a look at it. I'll, I'll post on it. I don't think I'm going to create an Instagram uh, or anything like that. I, I, I don't know that that was really impactful. I'll just mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter at Davis Giro and I will talk about it and promote it there. You go, you could, you can, yeah, I'm not going to use Instagram that much, but Twitter, I guess you can find me the best. Yeah. The Culture Shock podcast coming out in a few weeks. I'm super proud of it. But the other thing I want to talk about is coffins and coffee. So for those of you who listen to both shows, uh, we haven't done a, a coffins and coffee in months since before you moved here right <laughs> yeah right and and part of that was uh because you, you living here now you've been a regular on this podcast and so it's we're it's it's you know kind of crossing some boundaries there in terms of like what we do yeah we didn't want to be repetitive but also because i think we're trying to reimagine it in some manner and we're in the process of setting up a twitch and maybe have it be more of a, a video podcast a vodcast mm-hmm. maybe who knows 
maybe some gameplay. I'm very terrible at video games. But, um, but that could but, be your whole shtick. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's an easy one because I don't know how else to do it. Tune in to watch Dave suck. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at video games, but I try real hard. So the Culture Shock podcast is coming up soon. A revamped version of Coffins and Coffee is coming at some point once we figure out exactly what we want to mm. do. And I'm really excited about both of those projects because they'll be able to, to tackle different parts of our creative energy. I want to thank you all for listening. We have five episodes left, more or less. Yeah, five. We'll have some guests yeah. along the way. David and I tend to talk a lot, so that you, next the next two might be a two-parter. We'll see how it goes. We're just playing it all by ear. I want to thank you guys. And, and again, the Culture Shock podcast is coming soon. The Coffin and Copy revamp is coming soon on Twitch. If you've liked listening to me ramble for this 95 going on 100 episodes, I'm not stopping I'm anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> so join us on those. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Davisguro. I will probably follow you back. Let me know if you found me through this show. That's going to be probably my main mode of communicating with folks going forward. But until next time, and until the wheels come off, this has been Dave <laughs> and Ophelia. Adios. Adios.